Hey, Henry, what's holding you up? Let's get on with the show. We can't hang around here all day. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Move It, Shake It, Celebrated Street Party. And welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 525. And I'm here once again, not only to help you have the best experience in the Disney parks, but I also want to bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are, not just with the podcast, but with my videos, live broadcasts on Facebook every Wednesday night, my books, audio tours, special events, and more. You can find everything over at www.radio.com. In the mid-1980s, Michael Eisner ushered in the Disney Decade, which brought significant growth and change to Walt Disney World, as well as all the parks, resorts, and company as a whole. But more recently, the past decade has also given us remarkable events, announcements, acquisitions, expansion, and milestones, not just in the parks and resorts, but in movies, music, and more. So this week, we're going to look back and share our top 10 favorite things to happen in and at Disney in the past 10 years. We're going to take a year-by-year look from 2008 to 2018. And of course, as we take this trip down memory lane together, I'm also going to invite you to share your favorite event, edition, announcement, or even personal Disney memory from the past decade. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week and the special Toy Story Land Andy's Toy Box prize package. And I'm going to pose a new challenge for your chance to win a new Disney prize package this week. Then stay tuned to the end of the show. I'll have more information about how I can help you turn what you love into what you do. My upcoming Momentum Conference, upcoming Meets of the Month in Walt Disney World, and not one, but two on-the-road meetups as well course i'll have your voicemails so sit back relax and enjoy this week's episode of the wdw radio show Back in the mid-80s, Roy Disney brought in Frank Wells and Michael Eisner to help change the direction and maybe even the fortunes of the company. And specifically in the 90s, Michael Eisner had a lot of plans for the company, which they termed the Disney Decade. And I discussed what was new and what was next and, and everything that happened during that time back on show four. 26. We talked about Eisner's original plans, what was supposed to be, what was built, what wasn't, 
and why and how it really impacted the company. Also back on show 309, we sort of took a way back machine to 1993 to dive in a little more. But thinking back on the Disney decade was thinking back on the recent past, you know, the last decade in the parks and resorts. There was growth and changes and surprises and acquisitions and even a few things that maybe we lost along the way. But all in all, it's been a great time to be a Disney fan. In fact, I'll bet we could come up with almost a year by year top 10 list of our favorite things to happen at Walt Disney World and the Disney Company over the past 10 years. And for me, one of my favorite things that's happened has been getting to know and work with and share experiences with the man that you know as little Timmy Foster, the brainchild behind Celebrations Magazine. And of course, I know him as one of my longtime friends and top 10 list guy. Timmy Foster, welcome back, my friend. Well, hey. You know what? I was, I was wondering, I was trying to remember what my nickname was 10 years ago. It wasn't Little Timmy Foster. You've gone through many. Uh, I've gone through many, but Bananas is hanging on. Bananas is still there. I think you were referred to as, as Samantha Brown for a while you, for some yeah, odd reason. Yeah, that caused a lot of confusion in the neighborhood here, so we stopped <laughs> I'm that. Sure it, I'm sure it did. <laughs> but uh, I appreciated it. She didn't so much, but um, hey. You know, what can you do? I uh, I know Samantha Brown, Senator, <laughs> and you are no Samantha Brown. Exactly. There's only That's one it. Timmy Foster, and the world is a is a better place for it. But I think uh, this is a really neat idea. Uh, again, you know, we had talked about <clears throat> the Disney decade. I've done way back machines in the past. But I think now, in 2018, is an interesting time to look back on how we got to where we are, maybe even speculate a little bit about what the next 10 years are going to look at. And I think for you personally, I know that this has been a an important, you know, 2018 is an important milestone for you as well. It is. May, may I? This is the part, this is the part where you continue to expand on that. All right. No, as, as I've... Uh... <clears throat> pounded into your head the last couple of shows we had. This is uh, the reason I, I came up with this notion was this is our 10th year of Celebrations Magazine. Actually, we'll be with the September, October issue. That will be our 10th anniversary issue, which I am working on right now as we speak. So I, I couldn't believe, I, you know, the more I think about it, I still remember the first issue, the second. I remember it was on the cover of the fourth one. Don't ask me what was on the cover of the 32nd one. I can't remember, but. It was it was just like yesterday when this first started, but wow, it's ten years later, and I know with the the issue that um, is coming up, I'm, I am looking back on ten years of Walt Disney World and how it's changed from then until now, and I thought it'd be fun to do that with you and reminisce about year by year the things we remember from uh, the last ten years and see what happens and it was funny there are a lot of things i forgot about as i was actually doing homework. i can't believe it but i do as a quick aside i do want to say it has been a wonderful 10 years of celebrations magazine i own every (laughs) single issue many of which by the way 
I have kept hermetically sealed in their mailing packages, not because I didn't want to read them, but because I know that years from now that will uh, I'll be able to sell them on on let go for uh, my kids college tuition. But we've talked about this in the past. I remember meeting with you at the Sheridan at the little steakhouse and in the lobby for hours on end when you first talked about the idea. And I remember during the 24 and 40 hour shows carrying a bag full of celebrations magazines around with me. One thing that I, a little, they're very heavy in bulk. They're, they <laughs> they're are. Incredibly you heavy know in bulk. Why? Because there's 84 pages of 70 pound text. That's it's that 70 pound paper that, uh, yeah. but it, it's worth it. Look, and I've said since the beginning, you know, I'm, I love celebrations magazine, not because I love you, but because I'm a fan of, what they are um, and, and how beautiful and the work that you and the, the writers put into them. But that being said, I'm really more, and I think the listeners really are more interested in the last 10 years in, in Disney. And, and again, we didn't talk about this beforehand. So I don't know if you are specifically referring to things that happened only in Walt Disney world to the Disney company as a whole parks and it was almost said parks and recreation. No, in parks and resorts. Um, so what we'll do, I think, Tim, the best way to do this is let's go year by year. Let's turn the Wayback Machine, as it were, to 2008. Tell me, and however it is you interpret, your favorite thing to happen or the most memorable thing to happen at Disney going back to 2008. See, right there you hit upon a, a dilemma I had. Like my favorite moment versus the most impactful moment so i got a bunch of both i mostly went for impactful like how could you guys not forget when that xxx opened on whatever so um uh, and i and i wrote a couple for each one knowing we'd probably overlap so um what's the thing i'm gonna start with see that 2008 had a major happening i'll start with this because the other thing i had is in the same park which at the time was called the Disney MGM Studios. That was the year that they, of course, changed their name to Disney Hollywood Studios. And show of hands out in the audience, even though we can't see you, how many people still call it MGM? Because my parents still do, and they will never stop calling it MGM. Um, and in my heart, it's still the MGM team. But um, uh, that was a big happening in 2008, of course. And I have one more but i'm not going to say it because you might be thinking of that one so um and yeah it's a weird one it's not it didn't really mean a whole lot to me i didn't cry jumping down celebrate or have a party or anything but it being in the squarely in the category of significant events in disney park history milestones that's certainly one of them so why not start off and it'll be interesting. Obviously, years ago, it was uh, reported that Disney and Disney's Hollywood Studios would also be changing its name. Yeah, the excitement uh, sort of came and went as we continued to wait. We wonder that now with Toy Story Land having just opened, Galaxy's Edge coming soon, and as I think continuing expansion to that park coming, just when and what that name might be. Um, I had this on my list as, as sort of memorable milestones and and moments, but for me, my choice was was very simple, and it, it's almost a bit of a cheat um, because this thing that happened in two thousand eight was a continuation of something that had begun actually really in in late 
2006, early 2007. And you may or may not remember a little quote unquote year long promotion called Year of a Million Dreams, which for me was one of my favorite events and promotions they ever did inside the parks. I think that we talked about this on one of the recap shows a while ago. But if you don't remember, the idea was that throughout the day, every single day, there would be random opportunities to win anything from a lanyard to a pin to special Mickey ears to incredible experiences that were created specifically for that promotion. So it began in 2006, 2007 was an incredible year. People loved it so much. And and again, I applaud Disney for paying attention to the guests. They continued this on. So some of the things that you could get, in addition to dream fast passes, so it would be a lanyard that had fast passes for all the major attractions in the parks. There were dining packages, special parade viewing, shopping sprees, dream time, which is not nap time in the park, which would have been awesome, but it was an additional hour for a very select number of guests to enjoy a Disney park by themselves. But you could also win certain things in 2008 specifically, like rain at Disney's private island for one day. One winner would be awarded the Disney's Castaway Key for one day. A winner and three guests could lounge on the island all by themselves. Dining, recreation, cabanas, massages, overnight accommodations on a private yacht. At ca- like, that would be one I wanted to win. In Disneyland, you could have stayed in Walt's Dream Suite. You could have been the guest of honor. So do you remember when they had that gigantic photo op character breakfast? They had like 25 characters lined up on Main Street USA at a giant table for a breakfast. You would have been the guest of honor. You could have stayed in Cinderella's castle on New Year's Eve. You could have become a sorcerer's apprentice to a Disney Imagineer. How about this? Grand Marshal around the globe. You and and three guests could have been sent on a 15-day tour of four Disney destinations. Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Hong Kong, and Disneyland Resort Paris. And every stop you would have been the honorary Grand Marshal of the Daily Parade. Uh, Again, tons of other things throughout the day. Believe it or not, Timmy Foster, as often as I went, you know what I won? Goose. I won nothing. I won a lanyard. Somebody gave me a lanyard. I think it was just out of pity. I knew a number. (laughs) But in all the the, the roles, you know, I'm sure you've been asked a hundred times what role would you have. The role that I would have loved to have, have had if I ever worked at Walt Disney World would have been the Dream Squad cast member because every cast member's role at its core is to do one simple thing, make people happy. That's what those Dream Squad cast members were empowered and allowed to do. They had not only the freedom to walk and do, but to also make magical moments for guests as they saw fit. In addition to, we're going to randomly select the person in row three, seat two at Expedition Everest who's going to win prize X. They could do a lot to really help make additional magical memories. I loved, I don't, I don't even like calling it a promotion. I think it just, it screamed the, the essence of what Disney is. 
And I still, to this day, I know so many of the, the Dream Squad cast members. I miss those experiences and those surprises in the parks. But for me, that was my favorite. Other than from a personal level, on 2008, that was my one and only Walt Disney World half marathon that I ever ran. And I only mention it, I only mention it because it ended up becoming the catalyst for the WDW Radio running team, which, as you know, we've grown to more than 600 members around the world, more than a quarter of a million dollars raised for Make-A-Wish. Like, that is one of the most significant things I have ever been blessed to be a part of. That is at the top of my list. But again, it it's, comes from a very personal place. But from a Disney perspective, it's the year of a million dreams. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I rambled because I'm excited. I, Sorry. No, and, and yeah, I want to lay in you too. I, I want to throw in one more 2000. I wasn't sure where to put this one. This was a minor one. but um, See, I'm cheating already. Um, I remember this because this was the first, uh, one of the first news stories that uh, we had in the first issue. And that was the year the American Idol Experience opened its doors to an anxiously awaiting public where you could go inside and you could listen to guests actually come on stage and say you could even be on the show yourself and i loved american idol so much and wanted to sing so badly in front of the crowd lou do you know how many times i've seen the show how many times have you auditioned for the show that's that's uh, all i really care about uh well auditioned well do you want auditioned or actually just went to the show first <laughs> How many times did you actually audition? Uh, that'd be none. Hmm. And how many times did I go? Uh, that'd be none. <laughs> so it, it came and went, sadly, in a way, without me ever seeing it. But it, it was, I, I remember being the first news article in the first issue we did. And uh, I was so compelled to see it, I never went. No reason, I'm just not really an American Idol fan and many angry letters can come now. Anyway, just... just but I don't know. Did you ever get other than seeing it? Did you try out? Did you... I did not. I'd love to hear you up there because I've, I've heard you. Not. Uh, my I've brother heard. did. Got on stage. Really? Uh, made a made wow. a magical okay. moment while he was there uh, for <laughs> the, the lovely lady in his life. I won't... You wow. Know, share. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he is the... Um, if anybody, he's probably the... You don't want to hear me sing. Trust me. Well, I have. The grease tape will never right. uh, will never come out. So yeah. <laughs> but. All right. Well, anyway, so 2008. What a wonderful year. 2009. This there's a this is where I start running into. I just wrote down a bunch of stuff. So where do we even start? There's a lot of things happened that year. Um, I'm going to go with. Uh, I hope you go with the other one. This is an interesting one. I thought because it at the time this happened, this was very exciting. It was something we were everyone was charged up about, and they couldn't wait to see what. I would know happen. exactly where you're going. With well, with is it is? Can I guess? Yes. Is it the grand opening of the much-awaited Stitches Supersonic Celebration? Yes. All right, your turn. Go ahead. <laughs> you ruined. You got me again, Montella. Go ahead, you're up. No, come on, it wasn't that. <laughs> no, no, no. It was the announcement of the Fantasyland expansion, which wouldn't be completed for quite a long time. But it's it it is it's interesting now 
after the fact, as it were, to look back to see how that whole process changed from the very first time we heard about it uh, being in the works when we saw the first concept sketches, when we saw the first uh, tentative list of what the attractions might be, which were actually very different from what it evolved to today. And I remember looking back at the uh, concept art and the announcements that came that year. And at that time, there was going to be uh, well, the storybook circus part was pretty much, uh, as we saw today, the Dumbo and the Barnstorm were changing and all that. But there was also going to be many, many castles, more than you'd have Cinderella's castle. And of course, now we have the Beast Castle there. But there were going to be castles for many of the other princesses, and lots of meet and greets with uh, the other princesses in their very own castles. And as we know, that changed and evolved over the years into what we know and love today for various reasons but um i think for the better the, the new fantasy land is uh, magical and fantastic and was when it came out it seems like so long ago but um but again it's one of those it, it was one of those things to see it's interesting to look back and see how much things change uh at disney from the first announcements to when they're finally through or finally completed and i think it's a great testament to how disney uh, evolves and listens and pays attention to uh, how things are going, what reaction is, and um, as they face challenges, realities of how things are going to be able to shift gears and uh, go in a different direction or put a different twist on something for whatever reason. Um, and you can kind of look forward to that today because uh, we're in the same position last year which might come up later on the list um uh, lots of new things have been announced that are coming to disney and it will be interesting to see if they evolve and change by the time they actually get completed from what they were announced to be um and that's kind of part of the fun to see uh, how things change and how things um uh, how new ideas come about that maybe weren't there the, when the thought first originated um, and and where you actually end up at the end of the day. So um, we have that to look forward to in the next decade, but it was interesting in the last decade to see um, how the biggest expansion that uh, we've had Fantasyland evolved from its very first concepts that we saw in 2009 to what it is today. So I actually, I had this on my list as well. I, I remember being at, remember we've been to and, and exhibited at all of the D23 Expos. And I remember Jay Rizzullo, who was the chairman of the Parks and Resorts, announcing this um, and really not just that there was going to be new attractions, but that really that Fantasyland was going to be tripling in size by 2013. And it was at a time that a lot of, what was being revealed had not been spoiled as yet. So a lot of this was still a surprise for a lot of us as Disney enthusiasts. Um, certainly to see that level of expansion was exciting. But I think that that news for me personally was was superseded by something else. Uh, I, and, and I want to just make a quick aside and mention, because I think it bears mentioning, Outside of the theme parks, although I think things that happen in 
the studios in animation do obviously have domino and, and ripple effects. And I think for here, um, the fact that uh, Princess and the Frog was released that year, I think this was a milestone film for not just the Disney company, but for animation going back to this hand-drawn, beautifully crafted, uh, well-defined, spectacular score and music. Um, it really helped to usher in this new modern age of Disney animation. And oh, by the way, I love the music there. But for me, far and away, the news that nobody saw coming that will probably have one of, if not the most profound effects on this company as a whole, even more so than the acquisition of Lucasfilm, was the unprecedented, nobody saw this happening, acquisition of Marvel Entertainment for four and a quarter billion dollars. I was hoping you were going to go there. Yeah, which sounds like a lot of money until you look at what they have made in the past 10 years of Wait, how, much, how much did they spend on it? Four, just a little over four billion, four and a quarter. We'll call it four and a half for taxes and fees and, you know, stuff like so, that. So they're making two billion of film pretty much. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a pretty good return. Without a doubt. Um, <laughs> and again, we as enthusiasts had ne like there was no, you know, there was no rumor. There was no speculation. It happened very, very quietly and relatively quickly. I remember it was at that D23 Expo that I met Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige, who was a listener. If you go back to show 519, um, I sat down with Kevin for about an hour and talked about those 10 years of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as well as how we met as well, um, which, you know, again, as an, as I, I it's it was such a significant moment for me to be able to meet him. And, and again, you never as a podcaster, you never sort of know who's listening, but that um, that I think and I think history will look back on that as probably one of the most significant events in this company's history. And I don't think I'm overstating it to, to say that. No, it's it's funny because I when that happened, I like you said, like I didn't know it was coming. Nobody knew it was coming. Unless you're on the inside. And I personally was never a comic book person before. I know you love your Spider-Man. I do Although it took, it took a while for Spidey to arrive. But, but they got it right. Uh, they finally got, they got it, right. it right. But they got it right. And uh, But I'd never been a comic book person. So I, I heard it and I was like, oh, that's nice. Really? I don't want to see Spider-Man climbing up Cinderella Castle. What are they thinking? What is wrong oh, with Oh, my them? God. I would kill to see Spider-Man climbing up Cinderella Castle. <laughs> but... I, I will tell you now, I, I am such a huge Marvel fan, uh, Avengers, Iron Man, Loki. Well, I won't spoil it if no one saw the movie yet. But um, uh, no, I, I, I totally got wound up and captured by the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe and now love every minute of it. And uh, thanks to Disney, because I wouldn't have cared otherwise or... or uh, paid it more than a passing you know oh there's a spider-man movie out why not but and i think it needs to to be on this list too because 
the impact that that deal is going to have on the theme parks, especially domestically. And I think, Tim, and I've said this over and over again, I think this impact is going to be start is going to start to be felt. Yes, even here on the East Coast within the next five years. I would bet dollars to donuts. Ooh, donuts. I would bet dollars to donuts uh, that that deal and what's going on with Universal Studios is going to change radically. And all of a sudden, it's not just about the comic books and the movies, but those characters, those experiences, that technology, that those stories being able to look what we're getting with Galaxy's Edge. We're going to get with Marvel in terms of being able to live in those stories that we loved as kids or kids at heart. That's why I think it, it is going to have such a profound effect, not just on the financials of the company, but the, the experiences that we have as guests. I think the interesting thing, too, and we'll surely get to Star Wars at some point, but um, I, I know one of my first reactions was the notion of Disney owning characters that they didn't come up with themselves for lack of a better word like when you went to disney the appeal i always felt uh from them as opposed to other parks was that these were characters that were disney characters from 1936 or whatever Mm -hmm. um and it wasn't uh let's just buy xyz franchise slap a their name on attraction and call it a day and i always admired disney for that and i i did kind of worry about when marvel was coming in whether are we going down that path now? But uh, to Sam, pleasantly surprised is a vast understatement. And yeah, I think there's a lot of wonderful things coming. And there's things already in the parks, of course, Marvel related. And um, uh, and I and again that, that Marvel being the first of a few other franchises that have now come into the Disney fold. And um, I think the great thing that Disney has done and will continue to do is they just don't bring these in and use them for name value and just stick them there. They truly, how how do I say, uh, work with it, grow with it, um, put their mark on it. And, you know, now that you see Marvel and star Wars and, and everything else, um, they're going to be just as much as part of the Disney lore's, Yep. You know, Mickey Mouse and Cinderella one day, maybe not today quite yet, but um, that care and that that passion about storytelling character and all that is carrying right through all of this. It's just great. So Eddie times, my friend. Good times. All right. So let's move oh, on wait, to 2010. To to, yeah. 2010. Oh, I'm going to do a real simple, stupid line to break the chain so we can get through this list here. Lou Mangiello, what's the most important ingredient in a pizza? Love. Besides love. Bread. The bread makes or break the pizza. That's why it's so hard. What's the most important ingredient in that bread? What could you never get in Florida? Good water. Good water. When Viennapoli opened its doors (laughs) in 2010 with their own special nurtured from the springs of whatever water good pizza these are your words Lou Mangiello because you told me this good pizza (laughs) finally can be found in Florida and you do not lie I've been I'm throwing wait this might be a first am I the first one to throw food into the top 10 this time you did only because I, I let you go first. <laughs> uh, wow, you were going to say that, were you? I wasn't, but but great hungry minds do think alike. 
But now I, I've actually surprised everybody. I've eaten somewhere else besides the Tangerine Cafe and um, Golden Corral. And Golden Corral. If Disney it's, bought uh, Golden Corral, that would be like a perfect marriage for you. I would never leave. You'd have to <laughs> shovel the. Uh, I'd, I'd sleep under the chocolate fountains or cheese fountain, whatever it is. My um, my, but, uh, my... <laughs> well, I'm not done. Yeah, I've got some telling you how wonderful it is. I've eaten there. I've eaten there so much. I've busted my stomach, and it's it was a wonderful event. Where finally we could get not not good pizza, great pizza, great gourmet pizza in a beautiful beautiful restaurant in. Uh, the, the back of the Italy pavilion in that beautiful courtyard. And I, the one thing I, about Via Napoli, which is an ancillary uh, benefit to having it come there, is it, it broadened that whole courtyard in Italy. Now there's a reason to go all the way to the back and enjoy the whole thing. I just, it, it just, it completed the Italy pavilion to a degree. But um, now, but a wonderful, wonderful restaurant and pizza comes to Disney. I'm going to see your pizza. Yes. And I'm going to raise you. I know where you're going to. We'll see if great minds do think alike. All right. Because I think, and I have said over the past 10 ish years, that can still, to this day, Tim, I think that there are, is, slash, are a resort, resorts in Walt Disney World, which are hidden treasures. And Undiscovered Gems. You know how much I love my Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin and the oh-so-heavenly beds. But 2010 brought us something. Look, there's plenty of reasons to visit the Swan and Dolphin. I'm giving you a reason to move to to, to Orlando or at least come down in October because 2010 marked the inaugural first annual OMG Everything About It Was Perfect Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin Food and Wine Classic. This two-day event that was October 8th and 9th was the perfect marriage of weather, entertainment, and a sampling of food from all of the different Swan and Dolphin restaurants, including, but not limited to, Shula's, arguably, probably the best steak on property, Todd English's Blue Zoo, which you know how much I love, Kimonos, um, uh, Cabanas, uh, I'm I'm completely missing one. Oh, Il Molino, which also has some of the best Italian food on property. I remembered the price point was somewhere around like fifty dollars, and it was it included a a uh, one of the seminars that they offered, given by one of the chefs or sommeliers. And and unlimited, meaning there was no limit to how much you could eat food and beverage samples oh, on dear. the causeway. OMG. Otherwise, oh, tickets like a la carte tickets were like two dollars each. I kid you. This isn't like 1902 prices. This is 2010 prices. <laughs> so for 50 bucks, you had unlimited food and drink. Again, it's a food and wine. So there was beer wine uh i think some of the places had different cocktails as well there was sake is it was a game changer and i and i'm not trying to under overstate it it was a game changer especially for those of us who are foodies it wasn't crowded there was live music the todd english continues to be there year after year some of the best food on property at the best value 
hands down, without question. If you've never been to the Food and Wine Classic, it's coming back again this year, late October. You need to go. I have gone every single year, and dare I say, I love the Food and Wine. The Food and Wine Classic, I can certainly make an argument as being my favorite special event anywhere on Walt Disney World property. It's got your food. And you can stop right there. It's got got the food, and I'm good. You're taking me this year, right? I you come down, I will take you. Oh, Better, I, I will treat you. Dang, you just said it didn't. It I will treat up. you to an unlimited wristband. Okay, it's not. It, it is such a wonderful evening. You can go with your spouse, your boyfriend, girlfriend, family, what a bunch of friends. Like you get a bunch of friends together, just wandering the causeway on a beautiful night in October. Man, there is nothing better than that. And it's not crowded. You know, it's not like well, crazy long lines. Like food and wine can, at, at Epcot, you know, especially on a Saturday night, can get redonkulous. This yeah. is just the opposite. Mm. Well, you, you sold me, sir, as long as you're treating. But oh, I actually thought you were going to mention, because I had down uh, real quick that the Main Street uh, Electric Parade returned that year. And I think that was the year this it's a selfish bit of nostalgia between you and me, my dear friend. But I, I think that must have been the year where we uh, got to go behind the scenes and get a sneak peek at at the new floats and stuff. And you and I had the opportunity to spin a ladybug around. Oh, in that's circle. right. That's right. Yeah. Oh, that was still, fun. I mean, there was yes, the food. There wasn't as much food. You. But... You're, you're like, I mean, you're like a little kid in every picture I have of you. But <laughs> you were, you had so much fun. Um, but that was really cool. But uh, yeah, that was nice too. But food, wine, yeah. classic. The food, food trumps. I, food I understand. Trumps all. Yep. Knowing you, I get that. So 2011. So 2010, pizza came to <laughs> Walt Disney World. 2011, you know who came to Walt Disney World, Lou? Walt yes. Disney came to Walt Disney World in 2011. Um, there was a bunch of things that happened that year. Um, Toontown closing. Uh, to make way for some good stuff. Um, it also was uh, 40 years of Disney magic, uh, their 40th anniversary. But the thing I had, this is where I'm stealing three in case you had one. Ha, ha, ha. But um, when I mean by Walt Disney returning is that was when the uh, Tiki Room under new management reverted back in a way to Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. And we talked about this, I think, in our uh, show number, the one about nostalgic moments and things mm-hmm. of that nature. Uh, we've talked about uh, Small World and uh, other attractions and the Enchanted Tiki Room in the sense of uh, it reverting, in a sense, back to its original, brought Walt Disney's vision back to the attraction, to the parks. And for those of us who remembered the original and uh, it, it took us back to our child and it took us back to a time when things were even more magical, nostalgic. And this is when I remember us waxing poetically about tears coming to our eyes and feeling that childish naivete again. But um, uh, like we talked about before this, the thing that's great about the Tiki room now, whether you, love like the music or or what have you if you have any sense of history with disney this is one of a few attractions in walt disney world that really puts you back into that world where walt disney's vision was 
with us and and running things and and you could see um kind of through his eyes what what he had in mind for all of us like what his vision for what the parks would be what his vision for family entertainment would be and it just puts you back in that uh, i can't at night do i need naivete is the word it keeps coming to mind back into that spirit that disney spirit of childlike imagination where anything is possible and to this day i'll still go to the it's not the most popular attraction in walt disney world or even the magic kingdom by any means but i always make it a point to go there along with the small world carousel of progress and those things to um re uh, to reconnect or just reinforce that connection i have with the roots with what made disney what disney is in the first place that made any sense as I said it, but you know what I'm trying to say. I do. And, and just as an FYI, you were referencing show number 494 with our top 10 corny, corny, nostalgic and sentimental things. We still love about Walt Disney world. Um, What actually, one of my favorite top tens that we ever did, because I think we just sort of let our, our inner love and sentiment just come out. Um, you know, this was interesting for me as I was looking back on uh, on 2011, specifically for the parks. Um, I, I wanted to say, and I think it just bears mentioning, that in November of that year, the Muppets movie was released, um, certainly to, you know, worldwide, dare I say almost universal, just warm reception and i thought that was going to be the beginning of a new era of the muppets in the parks specifically we did have the muppets tv show uh i I don't know why we didn't see more of a presence of those characters i think going back to that touching on that idea of nostalgia and sentimentality i think that movie brought that to our generation, and I think it also helped to introduce a new generation to Muppets Beyond Muppet Vision 3D, which may have been, for a lot of people, their exposure to it. They may not have gone back to watch the Muppet movie, Rainbow Connection, lots of tears, love that. But I was hoping for, and maybe it's still, that maybe that that just hasn't happened as yet, but I thought that was going to usher in a new grander stronger presence of the Muppets in the park specifically over at Disney's Hollywood Studios where at one point there were plans for the Muppets to have a much larger presence we talked about that on a show way back when that I can't remember but I did want to mention and I'm going to sort of lump two things together and then one just as a a quick aside because two things happened at Walt Disney World that I think were some of the first volleys of wanting to make our guest experiences specifically inside the parks interactive. And I know I use that word probably ad nauseum, but that's, this was sort of the beginning of that trend. And I think two things did that one for me. And it's something that I still love. I very highly recommend. It's a great thing to do alone as a couple, as a gift, as a family, The Wild Africa Trek at Disney's Animal Kingdom is one of the most fun, unique, immersive experiences you will find in the parks. 
if you could do it during the spring or fall, probably better sometimes than going in the summer because it's like Africa hot in Africa Trek. But I love every part about it. Uh, I love from the way you enter to the immersion in the story to where you get to go. You get to experience things there that you cannot do otherwise, all within the confines and the safety of the Disney world. On a much grander, maybe smaller scale, over at the Haunted Mansion, the new interactive queue opened in the spring to, like, ravenous crowds that were waiting online for the queue more than they were waiting online for the attraction. From the simple elements that you could just look at to some of the things that you could touch, generate a response, the puzzle, the game, the the uh, the interactions with the um, uh, sort of that that I forget what the phone is called, where you can sort of, to the new tombstones to the organ, all of that I think was so well done, and still to this day I love taking guests there to show <laughs> them the the unheralded sort of murder mystery game that you can play that's not really advertised with those five busts at the beginning of that queue. I think it was simple. I think it was organic to the the storytelling. I think it harkened back to early imagineering concepts and storylines and the one-eyed black cat and some of the characters and the the sea captain all those things that nerdy Lou Mangello just loved, I was able to bring people through and share and show that to him. And it it got me and other guests excited about that queue. It doesn't the interactive queue doesn't need to be high tech. It doesn't even need to exist on the new Play Disney Parks app, which I love for separate reasons. But I really thought and continue to think that this queue area of the of the haunted mansion was a way to freshen up and make even more attractive a classic attraction that did not, should not, be touched in the way that it is. But you can do something like that in the queue area, not just to make it more fun, but to make it more interesting and to make it an attractor in and of itself. Well, I, I had that on my list. I'm glad I left it for you. Thank you. And finally... I just wanted. But there's more. There's, there's more. one less. Because look, we, you can't right. not talk about the giant blue Navi in the room. Because it was September of 2011 that at a press conference, again, Bob Iger and Tom Steggs get up and go, "Oh, by the way, we're partnering with James Cameron's Lightstorm Entertainment and Fox Film Entertainment. We're going to bring Avatar to the Disney parks, beginning. Be, and I think it's it. I think seven years later. It's important beginning at Disney's Animal Kingdom. What we're seeing in Pandora is, I don't think, the end of Avatar in the parks. I think Pandora is going to continue to expand, and I would not be surprised if you don't see the world of Pandora slash Avatar in other parks worldwide. I don't think they're done not by a long shot, especially with the new films coming. But once again, this was a partnership and an agreement that nobody... I don't think anybody sat home and go, you know, Disney and Avatar would make a good mix. <coughs> Excuse me. It did meet with mixed results. Hello, Twitter. But including people who said, I'm never, I and I still have screenshots of 
people was like, I'm never going to step foot in Avatar. It makes no sense at Walt Disney World. And then day one, they're like, yay, Pandora, my favorite world in the world. So it's sometimes... That was it, mine. That was mine. Was that you? Yeah. <laughs> um, and look, arguably, it is one of the most beautiful you know, immersive spaces in, in any Disney park, whether you're a fan of the films or not, but you bring together two of the best storytellers and storytelling companies together. And what you end up with is Pandora and an attraction like Flight of Passage, which not only, and if you heard my live review, the first is evokes an emotional response, but still years later has weights that are too three and yes this summer they will go beyond three hours oh i was there when it was six hours so there you go still haven't still haven't gone in you know what i i I will talk about this because like marvel uh this was another this was more i was that person i wasn't angry but i was really i i didn't get it a lot of people yeah um, I didn't see, I'd seen the movie. I, you know, it's funny cause it's, uh, I thought the movie was, it was, I thought the movie was beautiful to watch, but you know, as, a, as far as the story goes, I was, it's okay. And I feel like, uh, everybody I talk to says the same thing. Yeah. It was one of the highest grossing movies in history. So it's weird. I don't know who was actually out there that was, oh my God, such a great movie. But, um, um, but it was good. But I didn't see the connection between. Right. And, and, and I get it. A lot of people didn't. And some people still but, don't. But, you know, even just taking Pandora on well, its face is, is a beautiful land. And, and look, I think Flight of Passage is you can absolutely make an argument that it's maybe save for Pirates of the Caribbean in Shanghai. One of the most spectacular attractions to ever yeah. grace a Disney park. Well, I think uh, what happened, when, like with Marvel, what I was talking about earlier, that phenomenon of it. Of this franchise becoming part of the Disney fold and within the Disney universe, if you will, it's transformed into uh, something that is Disney. And I remember um, all the way when they first announced it, as we're seeing updates to the uh, land that's being built, we're getting sneak peeks of the attractions, sneak peeks of the lands and all that kind of stuff. And then slowly getting uh, the idea that uh, you know, the movie Avatar had its plot, you know, uh, for what it was, you know, being war driven and so forth and, and all that sort of thing. Uh, I was very uh, delighted to hear as time went by that the Pandora that would come to life in Disney wasn't that. It was the nature aspect of it, the symbiosis of nature and man and and that sort of thing. And I thought that's how you should do it. And to me, that just spoke more of what I meant with Marvel that uh, like Disney takes it and it's not just, they didn't just make a, like they could have taken a, the name avatar slapped on a triple corkscrew roller coaster, painted right. it blue and said, we're done. But they didn't, they, they built a whole new uh, land and concept and storyline, an elaborate storyline, an incredibly detailed storyline that is, it is Avatar, but it is as much pure Disney as it is Avatar. And when I went to Pandora for the first time, I was blown away. It was breathtaking. And uh, even the attractions aside, just being in the, in land, the land, especially right. at night, uh, 
It's beautiful. It's breathtaking. It's pure Disney, and it speaks. The message of it is so wonderful um, about uh, the, the love of nature, the being one with nature, the respect for nature. Um, it so fits with the animal kingdom, and and I mean, they turned something that t- at first glance it did seem how's that going to fit in at all with Disney, and they made it fit perfectly, as if it was made specifically to go into the park, and it wasn't you know, wedged in there. So I think Avatar is an even better example of what I meant with Marvel about Disney taking something else, but putting their stamp on it and making it, you know, pure Disney magic. So that brings us to 2012, 10, 11, 12. Where are we? 12. Ha ha. Well, this is the other big, <laughs> you had that big avatar in the room. Now we, how about that big galaxy in room? Because that's when I was sitting alone in the Longhorn Steakhouse and my friend Joe texts me, Disney bought Star Wars. Did you see it? And I went, no, what, what, what? I'm frantically searching on my phone. And um, I will say, unlike Marvel and, and Avatar, which I was either didn't really care or was skeptical of this one blew my socks away. I was mm-hmm. so thrilled. And that, now granted star Wars was actually in the parks already with the star tours and so forth. So it wasn't exactly, you know, brand new, never been seen before. This is a whole new thing. But, um, I grew up like you, like everyone young and old our age, or even my daughter who's who apologies to everyone out there, but, Phantom Menace is her Star Wars, so I don't want to hear any hate about it. But um, this is uh, for the kid that walked through Star Tours queue and imagined this this is my dream. This is what I was dreaming about since I was a little kid wanting to be Luke Skywalker. I am in this universe. And to hear that Disney had, uh, acquired Star Wars, and there was going to be lots more Star Wars coming to the parks. And there was going to be movies coming and so much. Of that was... Uh, Truly exciting announcement. And of course, since then, we've seen uh, great additions to the parks over the years over at Hollywood Studios with the new. This was this was tough because I didn't know whether to mention this now or mention it when these things actually open. But just glossing over um, the new Star Tours, the nighttime spectaculars at Hollywood Studios, and not to mention all the announcements of new Star Wars attraction resorts and whatnot that are going to be on the way. And they made a couple of films since then, which I quite enjoyed. So, yeah, that was quite a big year. So, so when in 2009, when Disney paid $4 billion plus for Marvel, there yeah. was a little bit of skepticism in terms of, will Disney get that money back? Obviously, it didn't take very long for those fears to be allayed. And look, and in 2012, when the Avengers debuts um, uh, in in May, the first film sort of under the Disney banner, it broke basically every box office record. It still remains probably my favorite Marvel film and I think helped usher in these this new uh, generation of films. In 2012, when they buy Lucasfilm, which includes not just Star Wars, but things like Indiana Jones, um, maybe it wasn't seen as risky, but it still seemed to be um, a, a hefty investment in that franchise. But with the film's merchandising, licensing, games, books, other revenue, it was a bargain. 
you know, it was a bargain and Disney has probably earned that $4 billion back, you know, multiple fold, you know, yeah, based on things that. like, yeah, well, I mean, look, when Force <laughs> Awakens gets, you know, almost a, a billion dollars in domestic and more than a billion overseas, they only, I think the budget was like 250, 240, somewhere around there. Yeah. They've, they've certainly made their money back. I think you're right, Tim, in terms of what this announcement meant for every generation of Star Wars fans, what we had hoped and dream is coming to fruition in the next, you know, few months, couple of, couple of years in terms of Galaxy's Edge and the Black Spire Outpost coming to the both domestic parks. We can only imagine what that is going to be like and how it it's going to continues. Um, you know, we've seen Star Wars not just on screen, but we've got, you know, Star Wars Rebels and Clone, all these other things that have come as a result of it. Uh, I had a feeling that's where you were going. So I, I wanted to sort of turn my my attention really more towards the parks, specifically to Walt Disney World. Obviously, Star Wars and the impact it's going to have on the parks is, is incredibly obvious. And if the next time you ride Slinky Dog Dash uh, over at Toy Story Land, you'll see just how massive... Don't look over there, but look over there because you can see just how massive Galaxy's Edge is going to be. And to be able to walk into those worlds that we dreamed of wandering through, you know, uh, as a kid in 1977 is is literally going to be a dream come true for guests. And is going to bring guests into these parks that have never come before. Non-Disney fans who are Star Wars fans are already lining up on I-4 to get ready to, to walk into Galaxy's Edge. But I turned my attention to the theme parks, uh, and I wanted to to hit on a couple of small, and obviously one large thing was the Fantasyland expansion in the Magic Kingdom. I don't want to go into it too much because we did talk about it when the announcement was made, but you know we saw some pretty interesting and amazing things. Like, do you remember... When they had the preview, we saw that dragon fly over. We have these new, interesting, cueless cues with the second Dumbo um, opening. We have this interactive play area. We have the new restaurants and some very interesting things that, that the Fantasyland expansion brought. But I think a couple of other things that I think bear mentioning for this year, Art of Animation opens in uh i think late may early june somewhere around there which continues to be for me sort of a a value plus resort i think it very much teeters on the line of what i define as as a uh, a value or a moderate resort again in terms of incredible theming and storytelling at the resorts themselves sorcerers of the magic kingdom debuts whether you play the game love the game collect the cards what Again, we're, I'm trying to specifically point to milestones along the way, getting to where we are now. More importantly, Tim, getting to where we are going in the future in terms of the level of interactivity, more importantly, personalization of your experiences in the parks. Going back to Galaxy's Edge and the uh, associated resort, your experience in Galaxy's Edge is not going to just be interactive. It's going to be personal to you, and it's going to carry along with you, not just through that land, but when you go back and check into 
your resort experience. The Source of the Magic Kingdom game brought not just interactivity, but a new level of collectability, right, of, of, of wanting to acquire all of these cards. I think it also brought in a sense of community, which other than online fan forums and discussion forums and, and social media, this what Disney did was it was getting guests to interact with each other. They did it to a certain degree with pin trading, but now guests are trading cards in the parks and online. There's a community of people that played together, that shared tips together. So I, I don't want to understate what I think the significance of that game is. I think it not only gamified your experience for kids, but for families to do something together. Again, what we're seeing now with the Play Disney Parks app is the next level of that beyond Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom. I am going to um, go a little nostalgic on you because the orange bird returns. Don't tell me Disney doesn't listen and Disney doesn't care about the older nostalgic guests because the orange bird returned. That wasn't just for us, but there's a whole new legion of orange bird fans. And I remember going to the Sunshine Tree Terrace when they had an event to sort of welcome the Orange Bird back, and now I have my Orange Bird Funko Pop and all my other little Orange Bird merch sitting on my shelf next to the Orange Bird merch that I collected as a kid. It also marked Epcot's 30th anniversary, and I mention it not just because of the historical milestone, but when fans got together to celebrate Epcot's 25th, when Disney wasn't doing something in the parks, Disney stood up and they paid attention. They helped to facilitate it. I was part of the group that helped organize some of those Epcot 25th events. They paid attention. They didn't just recognize but supported that and then saw, again, continuing on this nostalgia line, loved the guest reaction, wanted to feed that and had special merchandise, parks maps, you know, all those kind of things. It wasn't something that they marketed on radio and TV. That was very much done, in my opinion, continues to be done as a gift to fans because those are the people that they are playing to. And I think, um, finally, it's when we started to first hear the words, <coughs> excuse me, next gen and fast pass and fast pass plus, we started to see and hear tests of what this new system was going to be and possibly rolling out in the months and years to come and the billion with a b dollars that they invested in this new technology which we are not only continuing to see and reap the benefits of but again i think the experiences that we have with our magic bands now is still just scratching the surface of where that technology is going to go and how it's going to positively impact our guest experience in the parks. Well, you, Orange Bird, you rolled me right <laughs> into 2013 because I was going to say, and the Magic Bands and Fast Pass Plus made their long-awaited, anticipated debut that year. So I'll just continue on that path. I've noticed one thing going through this list, and we're, oh gosh, we're only halfway through. We got to pick this up, Mangella, but. <laughs> <Sorry>. um, <laughs> The one thing I've I've been noticing, and I I you know knew it in the back of my head, but it, 
there is a lot of a uh, lot of things we've talked about and will talk about going forward are about um, as we talk about so much they're about the guest and they are about Disney's commitment to making the guest experience as good as it can be and the cynical among us might point to how it gets more people in the parks and it's a rare day when the parks aren't busy nowadays um but uh when we we mentioned the haunted mansion queue way back when and some other stuff you can looking back on it see the seeds and the very first steps in what at the time seemed like in the case of the haunted mansion queue for example that it was really it was a really cool thing. It was great. It was fun to see. It was fun to experience and all that. But you can look back now and see it in the bigger context of what's been going on. And now that we're in um, 2013 and magic bands and fast passes have arrived, um, you can see how much effort Disney has put into making the guest experience better, not just better attractions, not just better restaurants and so forth, but actually caring and listening and making the the uh, negative aspects of going to a park, if you will, trying to eliminate them or turn them around. The, I mean, they can't change the fact that it's, what would you say? I think you said 170 and 2,000% humidity down there and stuff like that, but... Uh, short of building a dome over the Magic Kingdom, they're not changing that. But they can things like waiting in lines, things uh, long waits for attractions, uh, uh, standing outside in the sweltering heat while you're in a switchback queue, things like that. They paid attention and made not just minor improvements, but major improvements. Uh, changing the ways we've, uh, the way we actually experience theme parks. Um, changing the whole concept of waiting in line and traction times and so forth and you can all you can see all these little steps as uh in the years past leading up to where we are now and are going to and i remember when magic bands first came out fast fast first came out uh i probably along with many many other people knew i lou i know you were on top of it because you are a technological genius sir <laughs> but some of us might have been a bit befuddled by the technology and like, when am I supposed to put this? Do I have to put this here? Like, which side is up and where's my ticket? Where's my fast pass kiosk and all that? And it might have taken us a while to get used to. And some of us, <laughs> me, are not totally quite used to it yet. Um, but that's mostly because it's still evolving and still changing. They're still making it better and trying to improve upon it, make the experience better and better. So um, uh, when it first started, it had, you know, bumps and things to shake out and so forth. But you could see this was a big step in that effort to make the guest experience uh, so much better. Not not just within the attractions, but in between and while you're waiting and all the other stuff that goes along with it. They wanted to make that as um, not just painless, but in, into an experience in of itself. A lot of these interactive cues we talked about and that had opened by 2013, we're going to open, are just as much of an attraction as the um, as the attractions themselves, and we talked about this, like our favorite cues um, at Disney. It was a show; it was a whole show. So uh, uh, that was a, uh, looking back a momentous year as that technology finally hit the parks, and we all got exposed to it. And it's been a wild ride ever since. Uh, 
So I don't think that you could mention 2013 without one word. And that's Frozen. Rapunzel. You talk about a film that had a a massive ripple effect in the parks and wait times and theming and, you know, Frozen certainly uh, significant on so many levels that it doesn't even bear mentioning. In terms of the parks itself, um, there were a number of, of major and minor things that had gone on. Believe it or not, Tim, one of the things I remembered about this year was the opening of the tangled rest areas. Like I was sad to see my skyway. I, I, actually have that on my list. <laughs> I was scared to see my skyway chalet go, but in terms of well-themed, you know, utilitarian areas, um, the tangled rest area shows that, you know, bathrooms can be beautiful too. They can. And the end that Disney recognizes and encourages, you know, social sharing and things like that. So there's, there's charging stations there. Uh, Grand Floridian DVC opens. I, I think it's important to mention the talking Mickey Mouse because, mm-hmm. again, we're talking about the utilization of technology to enhance guest experiences for so many, not just kids, but even adults, to finally see Mickey talking, not at you or spieling or narrating, but interacting with you um, was, especially at the time, revolutionary and, and I don't think this and I think again very much the first uh foray into making character um non-face character interactions much more um personalized for the guests um as well um a couple of other things that had gone on were you know we saw Starbucks coming into the parks we saw mm-hmm. construction of um avatar and again d23 expo was held that year i I mentioned it because not only do i love that event but it goes to this idea of disney continuing to not just showcase what they're doing and share it with their most passionate fans but i think having an in-person face-to-face opportunity to continue to build community so but in the interest of moving forward as walt always said let's go on to 2014 2014 actually seems kind of a quiet year. I noticed um, uh, Mine Train and the Peter Pan queue opened uh, that year, which I think was the pretty much the final phase of the Fantasyland re-expansion. So here we are. I, the one thing I did notice, and I didn't even realize it at the time, It's a Small World quietly celebrates its 50th year from when it debuted at the 1964-65 World Year. And I didn't even know it at the time, but there was a website, smallworld50.com, where you could record yourself singing It's a Small World and upload it for all the world to see. And I totally regret that I missed it and do it, do it myself. And I'm not going to do it now. If you'd so, like to do uh, it, I'll be happy to put it up on the website or just share the audio for the show. So. Oh, all right, let me, let me do a little production here. Get my, I have to figure out which country I want to be representing. Really? And uh, <laughs> I'll upload it. So... Um, I, I want to quickly touch on the films, and I mentioned these, and I know we're, we're to a certain degree focusing on the parks, but I think all the films that I'm going to mention bear mentioning because of the current and possible future impact, I think, on the parks. Captain America Winter Soldier comes out in the spring. 
for many people, they put that on the top of the films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Maleficent comes out. One of the first times we're starting to see a retelling of these classic animated fairy tales. I think that starts to usher in things like Cinderella, Beauty and the Beast, and the other films that follow. I think the the you know guy off the bench that nobody, unless the hard you are a hardcore comic book fan, ever heard from, was this band of misfits known as the Guardians of the What? Guardians Never of heard the, of them. Right. Guardians yeah. comes out, and it's not just the summer blockbuster, but you want to talk about a franchise that came out of nowhere. Look, just weeks ago, the new Guardians of the Galaxy awesome mix live on stage at Epcot is there. They're building the new attraction. I don't think anybody saw that film and everything that was to follow coming down the pike. And from a personal perspective, I love, 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 and it's a comic as well, Big Hero 6. I would love, I think Baymax and I shop at the same short and fluffy stores and i just love the film uh itself uh i i do think if we're going to talk specifically about the parks there's openings and closings and new parades and things like that i i think that we have to turn our mental wayback machines back to 2014 and if you spent any time on social media i think the internet was broken by the disney enthusiasts who lost their collective marbles when it was announced that Maelstrom was going to close to make way for Frozen Ever After. See what are they can, doing? See if you can remember. I mean, look, and, and I am a passionate Disney enthusiast. Uh, I get it, and I don't, and I love the 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 outpouring of passion. But I never saw something as divisive among the community as the announcement of the closing of Maelstrom. Like, online fistfights were practically breaking out (laughs) because of this. And I get it. And I could, you know, put on my lawyer hat and argue for both sides of the equation. You bring in an attraction which which is going to bring kids into a park that for many have no interest of going to. You have others who say, Frozen has nothing to do with Norway. It has nothing to do with the vision of what World Showcase is. Poor Walt is turning over in his frozen little grave. <laughs> and and they met at loggerheads. Um, and, you know, like I said, I think you could, and I did, make arguments on both sides. I don't necessarily remember the lines from Maelstrom being out the door. Um, I don't remember anybody walking around with, you know, an oil rig T-shirt. That being said, I understand from a nostalgic sentimentalist point of view, my dad and I loved that attraction. I loved the little fishing village. However, you cannot deny the impact of Frozen. You cannot deny how a single attraction single-handedly impacted in a positive way attendance and revenue and interest, especially for a younger demographic in Epcot, specifically World Showcase, that arguably was not there before. If you are happy about Ratatouille coming to World Showcase, you need to thank Frozen because that is the one that ushered in this change and now bringing in IP and bringing in kid and family-friendly attractions into a part of that park that had none of it. 
there wasn't a lot for kids to do or families to do together if they were younger and maybe didn't have interest in walking through Mitsukoshi or wandering the streets of Morocco or going to see, you know, one of the live acts. So whether you loved it, hated it, the the positive impact and ripple effect that I keep talking about that it had on that park cannot be denied. Do I miss my little fishing village? Absolutely. Do I walk by Norway and still see lines literally out the door to meet Anna and Elsa and sing along with Olaf in a, in a unique and fun attraction? You cannot deny. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, I was waiting for you to pound your fist on the table. That was my, that was my not so Maybe emphatic. that's what that pump was that I heard. Um, now that's that's an interesting one. I mean, I won't dwell on it because we have a few more years to go. But um, I think we talked about this before several times. This notion of Disney, <laughs> Disney coming to its own park, of Disney characters coming into Epcot, um, and actually, I think starting in World Showcase, starting with uh, uh, Donald Duck and crew coming into Mexico in place of El Rio del Tiempo, and um, the reaction to that, and the, the idea, like with Frozen, like. This is supposed to be about the country and the culture and all that. And, but uh, that all makes sense. I was one of the, I wasn't mad about it, but I was, huh? but I've, I've gone on it. I've cried. I've, I've, I've loved it. I, I miss Maelstrom. I love Maelstrom. But uh, there's a lot of things we missed. We talked about that too. But uh, yeah, that was huge. I wasn't ever part of those internet fist fights though. I'm claiming innocence on that one. So uh 2015 all right i'm gonna pull the movie card here lou because i'm going to lead with the movie that ended the year on a wonderful note for all of us little luke skywalkers and all of us is when the force awakens came out um this being uh sort of uh not the very first star wars disney event to happen um star tours itself took on um well, it, Star Wars had Star Tours had changed uh, and upgraded to include the prequel stuff not too long ago. But um, that year, along with the Force Awakens uh, opening, uh, Star Tours transformed itself to Star Tours: The Adventures Continued. And I remember the first time I went on it, and I actually hadn't seen the Force Awakens yet. And the first uh, scene is you and Jakku speeding your way through a. Uh, crashed uh, Imperial destroyer, and wow, is that rough? I was used to the ride not being terribly tumultuous before, but this one rocked me around a little bit, and it was so much fun. Um, but uh, that was a big year for the Star Wars Disney partnership to really fully blossom as the movie itself comes out, the attraction gets redone, and it's just been going on. Uh, full speed ever since then i did notice as an aside by the way that um if my stats were to be believed that i saw that was the first year that the annual attendance at the magic kingdom topped 20 million so kudos to disney for getting more people to the parks every day and making every day a busy day as we <laughs> lament the days <laughs> of february when no one would be there but every day's crowded but um but good for that and you can see this is uh and the, the numbers continue to grow. It's a culmination of 
um, you know, a lot of things that they're doing right, paying attention to what guests want, need, like, and so forth, and and doing exactly that. And um, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into that. I'm going to stick to the childishly naive uh, good side of all of that, and and say it's a, it's a wonderful thing, and um, and just testament to all the good things that Disney had been doing over the past several years that we've talked about to make the guest, that guest experience even better on every level. So, I, I mean, look, that year specific, and, and there was a lot. A lot happened this year. As I was going through my yeah. list, I'm like, man, this is like I could do a top 50 just from this year alone. But I think, again, going back to Star Wars, specifically at, at you know, hearing that Star Wars theme lands were going to be coming to both world and land were mind-blowing. Again, it's it's the little boy, the little girl, and all of us just lost their collective minds because that's what we had hoped was going to come but we started to see some of those star wars inspired offerings coming like you said adventures continue the launch bay where you can start to walk into those experiences started to whet the appetite and get people excited for what was to come um it was a great stepping stone towards galaxy's edge and black spire outpost and what is to come in the next couple of years they piggyback on that plans to open up Toy Story Land, which obviously just opened a matter of days ago. But there were some other changes as well, and I want to sort of just quickly run through because I think they were all significant for different reasons. So the Sorcerer's Hat comes down at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Many fans (laughs) rejoice. Um, For some fans, they didn't. You know, for some fans, that was the icon that they grew up with. As the nostalgic, I love that clean view of the Chinese theater. I love that that sense of time and place that the Chinese theater um, brings. We also lost things, and I mention it again because of the outpouring of unadulterated love from fans of a quote-unquote attraction that may not have got as much, you know, worldwide recognition. But when I went to the final performance of Mulch, Sweat, and Shears in Disney's Hollywood Studios, what I saw that day was an outpouring of love from fans. And the the hundreds, if not thousand people that gathered in front of the aforementioned Chinese theater to watch that final performance was incredibly impressive and I think speaks volumes to, again, this community of Disney enthusiasts who probably went to the newly opened Trader Sam's Grog Grotto to, you know, um, the Harambe Market opened in Animal Kingdom, Skipper Canteen, which I loved, uh, opened as well. But for me, uh, without a doubt, and I did almost didn't know where to put this time-wise because of it was announced in 2013. It started to make changes name-wise. The the year later really started to take place this fee- this year. But 2015 for me, when Downtown Disney was officially renamed, more importantly, transformed into Disney Springs, I will tell you, especially as a local, and forgive me for repeating myself, this is my fifth park. Um, the idea of transforming this land that this that never really found its, its identity, nobody really understood the story, 
into the marketplace, the landing, the town center and the west side and bringing in Imagineering to take inspiration from authentic coastal towns to give it this overarching theme and story and bring in incredible new dining locations. You know exactly where I'm going with this. Like Morimoto Asia, like Art Smith's Homecoming and wait for it, the Boathouse, Jock Lindsay's Hangar Bar, the Ganachery, all of a sudden, this place that was almost an afterthought at some points during Pleasure Island's history was a place that you didn't really take kids. It's where students, adults would go and, you know, partake of one or 17 beverages. Um, It very much found its identity. It is the place that I, as a local, spend more time at than probably any of the other parks. Uh, I, I think it's beautiful. It offers something for locals as well as tourists and international visitors. I, I think the expansion and the renaming and the absolute renovation of Disney Springs was one of the most impressive things that I think has happened in the past 10 years for this for Walt Disney World as a whole. I knew you were good. I was waiting for you to get to Disney Springs because I know you I love, love it. Me. I love me some Boathouse. I promise there. you, Timmy Foster, a day You'll that you will not forget. Yeah, well. But you should look back on what the first show was that you first promised you would take me to the Boathouse. But what show are we, we're on right now? This is uh, 520-something. Uh, so it must be like 212. <laughs> yes, probably. <laughs> That's okay. I'm still waiting. We did have a cupcake at Sprinkles, though. So that's good. Um, 2016. I love this. This was the double whammy at Epcot. Uh, when you, you you touched on it a little while ago, but Frozen Ever After actually opens in 2016, and right alongside it, Soaring Around the World opens, and um, both attractions. Uh, Certainly, headliner Soren always had been a headliner. Um, the what I was as much as uh, I was super anxious to see Soren around the world. Um, I was one of those that had, uh, we'll say mixed feelings about Frozen Ever After. I didn't hate it, but I was more excited about Soren. My only hope was with Frozen Ever After coming and opening that would pull some of the crowd away from Soren and make the line not quite as bad. Um, with the help of another theater opening up, which it did. Um, but I since gone and loved both attractions. Um, they, uh, and uh, they're both especially magical in their own different ways. Um, I, I remember, <laughs> I remember this cause when I saw Soaring around the world and met you, you were actually, we were in sunshine seasons. I says, scaring a, sharing a, red velvet Mickey cupcake and a fish taco that practically burned my lips off. But uh, uh, we were were talking about it, and you asked me, um, so what did you think of the CGI and soaring around the world? And I went, well, that explains why those (laughs) uh, polar bears just happened to jump in at just the right time. So uh, the meaning I went on record to say, I didn't mind at all. In fact, I didn't notice it, although now it makes quite a lot of sense as to how coincidental a lot of these events happen. But um, now both attractions, they've certainly gone on to be extremely and well-deserved popular. Um, 
and uh, again, that was a that was a big Epcot year for those two attractions opening up. So, so very quickly, and I'm, glad that, and I'm, I'm glad I don't have to wait 120 minutes to see Sarnia. <laughs> Uh, so very quickly, touching on the film perspective and, and going back to something I mentioned before, The Jungle Book came out in April, and that was one of those surprise films for me. I was like, Ay, do you really need to remake it? And I and I loved it. My family loved and just found it to be a fun film, although it was quickly eclipsed by Captain America Civil War that came out uh, not too much later. And you probably don't want to hear my singing of the most of the Moana soundtrack uh, later on that year because I, I just loved not just the visuals, but the the uh, the songs from that film as well. I am going to come full circle to mm. something I had mentioned earlier in terms of the presence of Muppets in the park. I had mentioned how I wanted to see more. I had hoped to see more. I, you know, the idea and the plans for a, a Muppet-themed land at Disney's Hollywood Studios obviously never came to fruition, but we started to get a little and a little bit more. And one of the things as part of Magic Kingdom's 45th anniversary, again, we're celebrating, you know, the five and the aught years now at, at the parks. As Magic Kingdom celebrates their 45th anniversary, we get the Muppets present great moments in American history, which is just fun and funny and lighthearted in Again, in a land that, especially for kids, may not have as many attractors. Uh, it just sort of happens as you're walking through. You don't have to queue up for it. I, I really enjoyed it. From a pure sentimentalist point of view, I remember eons ago, which is a bit of an overstatement, but go with me here. When the Muppet Mobile Lab debuted in Epcot and came back for a very limited run during the 45th, this what appeared to be autonomous little thing with Dr. Bunsen, Honeydew, and Beaker moving around and making its way through Epcot, interacting with guests. I love, love, love when it debuted probably five years earlier. They rolled the guys back out. And Pizza Rizzo opened at Disney's Hollywood Studios, which I think I love the interior. I love the decor. If you go to the upstairs back dining hall room it looks like every italian hall that you'd have like weddings or parties in in new jersey so i kind of felt like home there um and, and again i loved seeing the continuing hopefully continuing to expand presence of muppets uh at disney's hollywood studios because it does sort of um ring for me that that bell of nostalgia uh going back to my childhood and my love of all things muppets Muppet and pizza together. That's got to be right. Perfect right. together. It's gonna be your wildest dream. We're getting <laughs> well. Maybe Lou, my we're wildest. Getting, <laughs> well, we're getting close to 2017. We're almost at today. Something kind of big happened in 2017, but I'm going to skip over that because I wanted to mention that at the Magic Kingdom, uh, happily ever after made its debut after wishes. Uh, a lot of sad people a lot of sad people not loving not loving that a lot of tears were were shed i guess that we've had a lot of that you know you know that's one of the things that's also noticed in this list is uh that we talked about the inevitability of change and it's bittersweet it could be great it could be sad um but it's necessary and you know 
you gotta you gotta roll with it uh, you miss things i miss things but we also have seen new things come that we could never imagine living without not saying this is one of them but i just threw that in there but um I mentioned happily ever after uh, uh, because I, th- I think one thing. Well, we sort of touched on it with magic bands and so forth, but the advancement of technology throughout the years also is something that's interesting to look at. Um, even more interesting if you turn the clock well, all the way back to the seventies and sixties and how far it's gone and how much innovation that Disney themselves has, have put into developing new technologies. Happily ever after, incorporating. One of the coolest uh, technological advances that came down um, the pike, courtesy of Disney in recent years, that most people might not be aware of how astonishing it is. But it's uh, the projection mapping that takes place on Cinderella Castle as it transforms into any number of things uh, from a ice castle to a bejeweled spectacle to a rocket ship blasting off into, into outer space. Um, the te- seeds of that technology went way back many years. Uh, we first saw it, or uh, had, first a, saw a big roll of it on, on the Magic Memories in You back in 2011, where uh, photos of guests throughout the day would be projected on the castle during the night show. But uh, to see the show today, um, and especially the holiday iterations of these shows, um, it, it's 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 mind-boggling to watch and see how the castle can be transformed into something that's really hard to believe that you're seeing it. Um, and if uh, you just take it on face value, it's astonishing in itself. But for those of you, and I won't go into it, but uh, if you looked into it and read about how they actually developed and created this technique and what went into it and on all the computer technology and all the um, uh amazing attention to detail and the subtlest little things that make this come to life. It's not just you took your slide projector and shown it on the castle and called it a day. There's so much that goes into it. Um, and yeah, it's just a, a great example, maybe under, not overlooked, but uh, maybe underappreciated just for how much actually went into it but a great example of how much the technology itself has evolved over the last 10 years and then some. And something else happened in 2017. Lou, what was it? So 2017 was, was a remarkable year. So I want to quickly, and there's, there's a very specific reason why I keep touching on the movies is because of not just we as Disney fans, we don't just visit the theme parks. We like the movies and the music and all that. There was a lot that that happened. So Beauty and the Beast, again, live action comes out. Again, massive success, really touching the hearts of those people that loved the animated film. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 comes out. A fun, funny, they realize how many families loved and kids loved Guardians. I think they sort of played up on that even more. Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales maybe somewhat lukewarmish maybe that franchise was is starting to have run its course cars 3 bounces back after cars 2 <coughs> excuse me the movie tim foster that i waited 40 years for came out i'm not going to tell you that i may or might have shed a literal tear when spider-man homecoming came out in uh, july I, I, 
<laughs> but I shed a literal tear. And oh, I, I had. We all know you shed yes, a tear. Yes, I, I reached out to, you know, folks that I knew and, and thanked them because it is. It, it's the movie that little Lou Mangiello, I mean, I'm still little Lou Mangiello, but always wanted and finally got. Um, and, and, you know, I won't go into a, you know, a complete, but Tom Holland, like, you're not just Spider-Man, man. Like, you're Peter Parker, and you have brought that character to life in a way that nobody has been able to do. Thor Ragnarok, again, pretty oh. much across the board, universal claim, made those that character so fun. Coco, I thought, you want to talk about a movie that hits you in all the feels and is visually breathtakingly beautiful. I think it's a, it's a wonderful portrayal of so much, and I love that the dynamic of the family and and remember me. And then Star Wars The Last Jedi comes out. Yes. And you get yes, and you get not so much yes. No, you get yes. I, and and, and, I, and I, I mention that specifically because it is one of those films that, again, there's there's almost two sides of the camp. There's the, I think, the hardcore Star Wars fans that loved Last Jedi, and then there's yep. some that maybe not so much. And but wrong. that's the beauty. That's what makes the world go round, man. If we all loved <laughs> and hated the same things, it would be a boring world, and I love the fact that it it stirs discussion. What I don't love to see, whether it's Star Wars or any, I, I don't love seeing the 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 angry bitter fights that take like guys it's a movie like it's a theme park like social media man calm down it's it's just you know it's all fun and fantasy but in the parks themselves there is this sense of loss and gain all over again so twilight zone tower of terror closes in january at disney's california adventure Californians and Disneyland fans worldwide, some of which collectively lose their marbles. May 27th, Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout opens to record crowds and instantly becomes the most popular attraction in the park. We have been on it before. We've talked about it before. It is, as Becky likes her, it's a party in a ride. It is so much fun. It is so enjoyable. It's it's best when enjoyed, you know, with a group of people and the rewritability factor for the different soundtracks and all the details and hey, Figment in the uh, in the queue. Love, love, love it. Pandora, the world of Avatar, obviously opens in Disney's Animal Kingdom, and the lines haven't dwindled very much since. Flight of Passage, I've said in the past, I'm totally cool with it. Like, I cried, man. Like, I cry. I, sh- I shed a literal tear because of the sensation of flight. There was something emotional about that attraction that left me agape when I walked off, and I cannot remember anything else that had impacted me in such a way as Flight of Passage did. That being said, we visited Hong Kong and Shanghai and Tokyo, and the Iron Man experience and the Iron Man tech showcase opened at Hong Kong Disneyland, as well as some other Marvel experiences, which I think are setting the stage and maybe even almost testing the waters for what I believe or maybe hope and pray is going to come to the domestic parks. Uh, August 13th, Ellen's Energy Adventure closes in Epcot. We have a meet of the month that day to sort of, God, it was so hot outside, to uh, bid farewell to Ellen. The the 
um, the outpouring of passionate sentiments to save Ellen and like there were no toad ins like when Mr. Toad was closing yeah. we're not there but again you start to get this uh, interesting dialogue among fans when we see that Guardian it's closing to make way for Guardians of the Galaxy we see the exact same thing happen when the great movie ride closes at Hollywood Studios to make way for Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. And I still am fascinated by the fact that Mickey has never actually had an attraction, a a ride for himself, save for the Mickey Mouse review that was here in Fantasyland and then was set over to Tokyo. Disney Quest closes, again, without much fair... I, I think it was sort of... The death knell had sounded a long time before. There were rumors of other things coming... It's closing to make way for the NBA experience. It'll be interesting to see that building has been demolished, what and how that does. Uh, uh, In Disney Springs, we get Rivers of Light, premieres, closes, premieres again. Um, I think showcasing some of the new technology that we're going to see on some of the water-based shows. I still think if you love Illuminations, I would go see it soon. Um, Misadventure for what? Uh, and, and I have to mention two things. Um, one, for one of the few rare occasion, Walt Disney World closes for two days due to Hurricane Irma. And I say it because of the rarity of that event and obviously the significance of that hurricane. And I say it to take an opportunity to applaud the Walt Disney World management executives and more importantly, the frontline cast members that I had heard nothing but remarkable stories from guests who were impacted by that hurricane and how the cast members like went above and beyond to make their experiences when, you know, food was limited and and certainly experiences were limited to make those experiences as comfortable as possible And I do want to mention one thing that's sort of outside the parks, but I think connected to the parks experience because I I love me some Disney Cruise Line. Beauty and the Beast premieres on the Disney Dream. And I will tell you, Tim Foster, as a cruise fan, as a former theater guy, I thought, and I still think, Beauty and the Beast is far and away the most spectacular show you will see on stage, not just on a Disney Cruise Line ship, but if they would have put that in Hollywood Studios or New Fantasyland, it is, it's a beautiful retelling uh, and almost updated telling of the Beauty and the Beast story, but the sets are just amazing. Like, it's the second best reason to go on the Disney Dream behind Cabana's Buffet. I knew you were going to do that. Always. That's great. I, I forgot 2017 was the year little Timmy Foster became a DVC member. What? So all the DVC people, I'm one of you. I'm going to be everywhere. I'm going to be at the special events. I'm going to be at the DVC lounges. I'm going to be on the... I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when I no, see it. Well, <clears throat> for real. So, hey, we're up to this year. I'm just going to end mine on a on a lighthearted note. There was a birthday, Lou, and well, every, Okay, everybody had a birthday in 2018. But there's one birthday that I thought was particularly delightful, and that was that of little 
Augustus, who was born on January 13th. Augusta Gloop, uh, Augustus Gloop from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Yes, he's back. Now, close. Augustus was a baby hippo that was born <laughs> at the Animal Kingdom. And what better way to celebrate the Animal Kingdom's 20th anniversary? Than by and closing I'm- what? <laughs> than by closing the, the bird show and bringing in the, up the great bird adventure. I like the bird show. All right. Way to ruin my lighthearted <laughs> moment to end this list on there, Lou. What do you got? So I think, and obviously, look, we're, we're only... something big just happening a couple days ago. Right. But, so, yeah. again, I want to touch on the movies briefly because I think some of what happened was significant in and of themselves as well as the impact on the parks. Black Panther... In terms of the, first of all, it's a spectacular film and how it reached and impacted and inspired so many people that maybe weren't Marvel Cinematic Universe fans before was wonderful to see. I loved seeing the theaters populated by little boys dressed like Black Panther and girls dressing like the Dora Milaje like I love, love, loved it. It was an awesome movie from beginning to end. Avengers Infinity War. I'm doing the mind-blown gesture as if you could see me. Incredibles 2 was worth the 14-year wait. It helped to usher in what is going on right now, which is the incredible summer event at Walt Disney World. There's a party, and there's a dino bash, and there's Guardians of the Galaxy Awesome Mix Live. There's all kinds of cool stuff going on here, as well as California Adventure, and certainly, like, literally hours before we are recording this, Toy Story Land opened at Disney's Hollywood Studio. We've already done uh, a full review of that, but, you know, thinking back to when that was first announced and to see that come to fruition, and uh, again, whether... You know, the talk has so been so hyped about Galaxy's Edge that we almost forgot to a certain degree about Toy Story Land. But you want to talk about a land that is fun and entertaining and I think goes back to this idea of Walt Disney wanting a place that families can have fun together. That's exactly what Toy Story Land accomplishes. Uh, And I think, Tim, I'm going to I'm going to surprise you a little bit here because I think as we look as we can as we finish looking back on 10 years and obviously 2018 I think is still going to be full of surprises I think there's a lot that we're going to get this year certainly I think we're gonna that we're gonna get in the next 12 to 18 to to 36 months I think and we can sort of hopefully if we're still doing this 10 years from now I think that the next 10 years may be Walt Disney World's Best ever. And you want to know why? I have a top 10 list. I'm going to go through quickly. Number one, Galaxy's Edge is going to bring in new Disney fans, like I said, who have never visited that park before. If you think the lines for Slinky Dog Dash and Flight of Passage are long, I can only imagine what that land is going to look and feel like. But it's going to bring in Number two, which I think over the the next 10 years, 
so much more interactive and personalized experiences. And I think the second part of that is incredibly important. We got a taste of it at the end of It's a Small World and some of those attractions like Rock and Roller Coaster where you see your name. I think we're just scratching the surface of that and it's due in large part to number three, the advances of technology that are going to come into the parks, not just in the attractions, but I think augmented reality on your, your mobile device, in the queues, in the attractions themselves. Number four, I got three words for you, Marvel, Marvel, and Marvel. Yes. I believe in my spidey thwipping hearts of hearts, Marvel is coming to Walt Disney World. I also believe, number five, we are going to get new attractions in the Magic Kingdom beyond what has just been announced. I think that Tomorrowland is ripe, and I think within the next five to seven years, we're going to get more there. Six, the 50th anniversary is coming, which leads me to seven. I think we are going to get, dare I say, a huge Epcot expansion beyond just the restaurants and the attractions that we know about, but countries and changes to future world. Number eight, I think we're going to get more Pandora, not more in Pandora, I think we're going to see an expansion of Pandora. I think number nine, we're going to continue to get new resorts beyond just what has been announced, including the Riviera, which, you know, is very much in its infancy stage. And number 10, the things about the next 10 years that I'm most excited about is how I always end these lists. I'm excited for what we don't know. The things that Imagineering hasn't told us or maybe they haven't even thought about as yet. Because if the last 10 years are any indicator, the next 10 years are going to be the best yet. Well put. Thank you. I just want a Loki meet and greet. Uh, you can, that, that's that's a doable thing. Because if you go, uh, we need to go, oh, let's go to Hong Kong. Well, I want it here. I don't want to go to I. All right, I'll go to Hong Kong. You, you might have to go to Disneyland first. And then, like, we're halfway there. We might as well just go to Hong Kong and okay. Shanghai. All right, let's do it. Why don't you come to Japan with us next year? There's, okay. still a, there's still a few spots left for our Adventures by Disney to Japan okay. in October. We'll talk offline. But looking we'll back talk- on the past 10 years, is there <laughs> one thing that you can think about or point to as being... excuse me, the most significant or impactful or important or special to you either as a Disney fan or just purely subjectively as a, as a, as little Timmy Foster. Star Wars. Is it, is it, it's all the Star Wars stuff that's coming. Yeah, I get, no, that's hard because I I look back and there was so much. um, No, I can't pick one. That's the, (laughs) that's, it's hard, right? I was think looking over the last ten years, and much like uh, I was going to summarize this by, as much as uh, everyone knows and admires Walt Disney's uh, personal uh, conviction of not resting on his laurels and always moving forward and uh, not doing what's done before, but doing what's next. Um, I was actually rather surprised going back to the 10 years and realizing just how much happened. I really never soaked it all in. Um, is there one thing? Yeah, how can you say there's one? Thing? I'll say Star Wars if there's one thing, but there's so many things that you could point to. Um, I would just, well, if it's not Star Wars, it's <laughs> Disney's continuing 
commitment to its guests and the guest experience. But that's been that way since 1950, whenever. And so it's not unique to this decade. So Star Wars, I'm going with Star Wars. Uh, listen, you can you can argue Star Wars. I think you could argue or or make a uh, a case for Marvel um, yep. in the same way. And I think maybe to sort of accentuate or punctuate that, I think the attention and the thanks, and, and I've said this before, history is going to look at obviously the company as a whole, but look, you cannot devalue the importance of what Bob Iger has done for this company in the past. I'll, I'll even expand it. I'll, I'll cheat and say 12 years with the acquisitions of Pixar in, in six Marvel mm-hmm. in 2009, Lucasfilm 2012, the opening of, you know, the uh, of Shanghai Disney and mainland China, the embracing of new technology and, you know, offering different content on multiple platforms and reaching guests in a new and significant ways, but continuing that legacy at, at its heart, which is incredible storytelling, exceptional customer service that nobody else does. And that's why we love this company, this parks, the movies and, and what they do so very much. I can't point to one either, but I will ask you, our friend, the listener, what over the 10 years in the parks, around the resorts, acquisitions, in the movies, what has been the most significant for you? What is the thing that that is just one of your favorites that you look back and I'm like, oh, I'm so happy that they did this. You know, whether it was the high school musical show in Hollywood Studios or the acquisition of Marvel or anything in between. Um, I would love for you to let me know. You can email me, Lou, at WWE. Better yet, go to our Facebook group, the WW Radio Box People group on Facebook. Go to www.radio.com slash community. Be part of the conversation. Let us know there. Call the voicemail. Let me hear it. 407-900-9391. And then what I want you to do is help me, help Tem celebrate 10 years. And this is an honest and sincere congratulations to you. You talk about a project that comes from a place of love and a passionate place. That is what you and the entire staff and everybody over at Celebrations Magazine has done, not just with the the it with the um, 50 plus issues so far, but with the special edition books and all that you guys do. Um, here is to the past 10 years and here is to 100 more. Well, thank you very much. It's been fun. But my thanks goes to... Well, not only to you who helped helped us nurture this little dream into what it is now, but my real thanks obviously goes to all of our readers, past and present and future. And to celebrate our 10 years, we, we want to give back, inspired by Disney and all that we talked about that they do for their guests and so forth. We want to give back to you, our readers and our guests and um, we have a special offer that's going on right now. And Lou, I'm going to send you the link for it so you can put it up and so everyone can have access to it. Um, our next issue, September, October, it's going to be our big grand 10th anniversary issue. I already did the cover. It's so cool. Um, but we're putting together a special package. If you subscribe or renew, if you're a current subscriber, you're going to get, get this, for free, 
your choice of one of our collector's books that you mentioned, Lou, uh, either our one of our Christmas books, our Halloween book, or our Disney After Dark book, the coffee table, 200-plus page color books. Um, your choice of one of those, absolutely free. Um, we have a set of three 12-page keepsake booklets, um, The Haunted Mansion, Wishes, and uh, another one I'm forgetting right now, but uh, it's an evolving collection. But we have three of those you're going to get free as well. We're also going to send you a celebrations commemorative pin for your lanyard, the one that you won during the year of Million Dreams. Um, that's absolutely free too with your subscription. So we put together this awesome package for you. And you know what? It's our way of thanking you. Um, our readers who have been there with us or have just joined us or are just about to join us. You're the reason we do this and you're the reason we love doing this so much because um, we do it not just because we love it, because with you love it. And the most joy we get out of this is sharing that magic with you and me sharing that magic with you, Lou, is why I come on this show and love it so much and love everything that you do. And that's what this is all about. That's what Disney is about. That's what these last 10 years have been about about that magic and sharing it and that community and that being together. And Look, being I'm not going to get all weepy and sappy, but I guess I'm going to get a little weepy and sappy. Am. I gotta, gotta stop. Listen, man, I, one of the greatest blessings of the past 10 years has not just been what we do on the show, but the friendship that you have extended to me. And, uh, and that my friend is something that, uh, is not only priceless, but would very much go at least near the top of a top 10 list of things that have happened in the past 10 years. So thank you for all that you do. And uh, I will, I will continue to do these top tens with you as long as you will continue to do them with me. And we would love to hear from you. Any ideas that you have for a top 10 list that you'd like us to do on the show. I love you, brother. Congratulations on 10 years of celebrations magazine and celebrations press. And here's to another 10 years of top 10 lists together. Let's do it again. We still got to get, we still got to, you still got to get on, get to the boathouse at some point. I know. So Time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or see how well you pay attention to the details, sometimes in what you see, sometimes in what you hear. And if you think you know the answer, you can enter via our online form for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back review last week's and select our winner of our very special Andy's Toy Box Toy Story Land prize package. So last week, as we celebrated and reviewed the opening of Toy Story Land at Disney's Hollywood Studios, I told you that it's not the only land based on the Toy Story films. And your question was to tell me what other Disney parks around the world have a Toy Story Land and what order did they open? And you must have been very excited for our very special Toy Story Land Andy's Toy Box package because I think this probably sets the record for the most entries that we've ever received for a contest. And again, you are playing this week not for audio tours and things like that, 
but a very special box from Toy Story Land that includes about a dozen or so items, not that you can only just get at Toy Story Land, but some items that you can't find or buy anywhere. They all come in a giant themed box of Andy's toys and include everything from toys and collectibles to special preview event giveaways and a few things, like I said, that you can't find anywhere else. But before I announce the winner, the answer to last week's trivia question is, first, Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris. That opened in August of 2010. Then in November of 2011, Hong Kong Disneyland opened their Toy Story Land. Shanghai's opened in April 2018 and followed by the June 30th opening of Toy Story Land at Disney's Hollywood Studios. So I took all, all of the correct entries and randomly selected one for the grand prize winner of Andy's Toy Box is from Florida, Amanda Wood. So Amanda, congratulations. Thank you for entering. You sent me your address because you used the form. I will get your, I will box up and ship out your prize package, your prize box right away of Andy's toys. Thanks to all of you who played and entered. But if you didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So this week, I'm going to keep it simple and ask you to finish this sentence. Yeah, and maybe sometime in the new century, your father will learn how to talk to our blank. I'm going to give you a hint. It's from a classic attraction. One that you could say Walt Disney had his personal imprint on. New century, the future, not today, maybe tomorrow, land. I've given you way too much. Yeah, and maybe sometime in the new century, your father will learn how to talk to our blank. This week, you are playing for, again, all of my digital products, which includes my 102 Ways book, all seven of the virtual audio walking tours of the park, a brand new, not available anywhere except as a prize, WW Radio vinyl sticker you can put on your laptop, your car, your mirror, anywhere. And I'll also throw in a WW Radio pop socket for your phone. You have until Sunday at 11.59 p.m. to go to this week's show notes at www.radio.com and use the online form there. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so very much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. I invite and welcome you to come be part of the WW Radio family and join our community over at www.radio.com slash community. That will take you over to our Facebook group where I invite you to not just comment on this week's show, but anything that you want to talk about and share while you are there. This community is open to everyone. It is very warm and very welcoming and is by, for, and about you. And to that point... You have done so much for me by giving me your time and your attention and your love and support over the years and allowing me to do what I love and share it with you. And I want to try and help you do the same thing. I want to try and help you do that thing that you love and maybe turn it into what you do. So I just want to let you know about two things that I have coming up, not necessarily Disney related. The first is my weekly mastermind group. Uh, Over time, one of the things I've found most valuable to me in helping to grow my business in so many different ways was being part of a small group of like-minded people that meet virtually once a week. I currently have two spots open for my weekly group that meets on Tuesday nights. 
If you go to lumangelo.com, click on the coaching link at the top of the page, you'll find out more about exactly what the mastermind entails, including the private calls, the daily support, accountability partners, solutions, ideas, tools, resources, and lots more. The group is limited to just six people. I only have two spots available for the group, which is launching this July. Again, to find out more or shoot me an email if you have more questions, visit lumangelo.com. And while you're there, you can find out more about my Momentum Weekend Workshop, my in-person workshop in Walt Disney World, Saturday and Sunday, October 6th and 7th this year, with an optional mastermind the day after. You can find out how this event, which is limited to just 50 entrepreneurs and solopreneurs, is more than just presentations, but really an intimate setting where you can learn and share and discuss and make real changes to your life and your business with a lot of workshop activities. I just announced our opening keynote speakers, Dan Cockrell, the former vice president of Magic Kingdom, Epcot Center, and Disney's Hollywood Studios, and Ashley Eckstein, the founder of Her Universe, author of a new book, self-made entrepreneur, and also the voice of Ahsoka Tano from Star Wars, The Clone Wars. They're going to help kick things off Saturday and Sunday. I'll also have updates and announcements of new speakers and some of what we're going to be covering in the coming weeks. But our early bird pricing does end soon. It is limited to just 50 people. We only have about 18 or 19 spots left. Again, to find out more or to email me with questions, visit lumangelo.com and click on the Momentum link. Also, don't forget to join me every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for WW Radio Live. And also turn on notifications on Facebook. This way, when I go live, oftentimes from the parks or out and about, you'll get notified. But be sure and join us every Wednesday night. Be part of the conversation. Be part of the show. Oftentimes, I'll do call-ins where you can ask questions, discuss recent topics and news. Again, that's every Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern at facebook.com slash Radio. I'd love to hear from you. If you have a question that you want me to answer on the air, email lou at www.radio.com or call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1 to leave a question, a comment, or just a hello from the parks. Of course, I'm all about you. I'm all about this community that you have helped create. And as much as I love connecting with you online, and again, I'm at Lou Mangiello on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, nothing beats a handshake and a hug. So that's why I continue to do monthly meetups in Walt Disney World. The next one is going to be Sunday, July 14th. It's summertime in Disney World, so I promise it's going to be inside. We're going to meet from 10 a.m. to about 11.30 a.m. over at the Sunshine Seasons. I still call it Sunshine Seasons Food Fair. In the Land Pavilion, there's food, there's breakfast, and of course, there's air conditioning. But I also do a number of meetups on the road as I travel to speak at events and to schools. And there's actually two coming up the same weekend, but in different locations. I'll be speaking and so excited to be part of the Indie Disney Meet on Saturday, August 25th. That's in Nobleton, Indiana. That starts around noon. And the following day, I'll be doing an on-the-road meetup Sunday, August 26th in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Yes, I'm going to be going from Indianapolis to Pennsylvania in less than 24 hours' time. That's going to be 5.30 at night at a location to be determined. Both events and the meetup, obviously, completely family-friendly. Every Everybody and everybody is welcome. If you go to the WW Radio 
uh, Facebook group or events page on the WW Radio page. You'll find out more and RSVP. Let me know that you're coming. And again, if I can maybe come to help speak to your conference or to your school or to your business, you can visit loumangelo.com. Thanks as always to Becky Mankin, my official and recommended travel provider. Mouse Fan Travel gives you no obligation quotes, the best possible prices, all available discounts, all at no cost to you. And more importantly, with exceptional customer service. And as little Timmy Foster said, go check him out over at celebrationspress.com. And as always, my friend, and you, you are my friend. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart, whether we've met yet or not. And all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Invite your friends to be part of the WW Radio family and community Tweet out that you're listening. Share a link on Facebook or Twitter or wherever to this or your favorite episode. And if you can, take just 30 seconds. That's all it takes to leave a review over on iTunes. It would be incredibly helpful. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Vertical Chaos, who says, Love, with many exclamation points. It's a fabulous podcast about all things Disney, past, current, and sometimes future. Lou's passionate about Disney and what it stands for, and it shows both in him and the guests he has on the show. He's super enthusiastic, but never fake, and you're never left asking yourself, if he has such a problem, why is he still doing Disney stuff like I am with some other podcasts out there? Luke keeps it real while demonstrating his real love for Disney as a whole. Keep up the magical work, and hopefully we can meet someday, maybe at the Boathouse. Vertical Chaos, you did have me at hello. You won me over with the kind words, and you sealed the deal about meeting to eat at the Boathouse. NKK001 says, this is the best Walt Disney World friend you could have. Aw, the podcast is so inspiring, so much fun, so educational, and so entertaining. It can also be life-changing. Wow. If you haven't had a chance yet to get that handshake and a hug, Lou's truly as genuine in real life. I'm getting choked up. I don't read these ahead of time. As you can tell, Lou's as genuine in real life as he is on the show. If you want to know more about Disney, if you love Disney, or if Disney's in your DNA, this is absolutely the podcast for you. And Annabeth623 says, Disney magic in my ears. My husband and I love WW Radio, not just for what we learn about our favorite place in the world, but because Lou and his guests are always so positive and always have so much fun. Listening to the weekly show is a boost and makes us happy to be a part of this great Disney community. Keep it up, Lou. Annie Beth, NKK, Vertical Chaos, you guys have really summed up what this is all about, right? It is about the love of this thing that makes us happy it's about this community that you guys have built you know i say it all the time because i mean it you know i just built that clubhouse you guys are the ones who populate it and i love and appreciate you individually and all of you collectively for doing that i uh i am grateful to and for you every single day and if there's, if there, if there's ever some way i can thank you if i can repay you if i can help you I mean it when I say to please reach out and let me know. I hope that this truly is your best week ever and that every hour, every day, every week that follows continues to improve. I love you. I appreciate you. Have a great week. See ya. Hi, Lou. My name is Molly Warner. I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, I've been listening to your podcast for a few years now, and I'm catching up. I was studying abroad Um over the spring semester, so I've been catching up, and I just listened to your Top 10 Emotional Experiences podcast, um, and I wanted to call in and talk about mine. So mine are a little bit, well, one's a little bit specific um, and nostalgic. It comes with the Main Street Electrical Parade. 
Now, I grew up with that parade, um, and I can remember my dad driving my older brother and me when we were super tiny, and I guess he had a CD or something, but it always gave me chills to just hear the, ooh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and that whole opening spiel. Um, And so when the Main Street Electrical Parade came back, we were all super thrilled, and we all went to see it. We all stood and cried together. I mean, I took picture after picture of each float, and I filmed the whole thing. And then they announced it was glowing away. Oh, my gosh, were we upset. So we made a special trip down just to watch the Main Street Electrical Parade one last time. And that's, I think, the last time I went to the Magic Kingdom that wasn't like a holiday. We went to Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween Party, but oh, it was so good to see it one last time. But I miss it a ton, and it makes me cry just thinking about it being gone um, and all the memories it holds for my family. And then a little more er, broad is just parades and fireworks shows in general. In a parade, I revert back to a four-year-old. I'm watching it, and I'm waving at these characters, and I know they're just cast members, but in my heart of hearts, I know that that's Jessie the Cowgirl waving back at me. And on the rare occasion that they do wave back at me instead of the actual four-year-olds in the crowd, I just get so, so verklempt. Oh, and so teary and just, oh, just waved at me. It's a good feeling. And I love the fireworks. I miss wishes. And I still have yet to see Happily Ever After, but I want to see it because I've heard amazing things about it. But those are my things. Just being at Disney with my family, having character experiences, watching the parades and how personal they are. It's just so awesome. I love your show, Lou. Thanks for all that you do. Thanks for your doses of Disney. Have a good day. Bye. Hello, Lou Mangiello. It's Gabby Laxamana from Columbia, Maryland. Um, Happy 4th of July. Um, I am on my way home from my first day back at work, kind of reminiscing. Uh, Just 24 hours ago, I was still in Walt Disney World, finishing up a pretty spontaneous trip down. Um, We decided last Wednesday night that we were going to head down to Disney's at Friday, two days later, um, pretty much for Toy Story Land grand opening, um, and it definitely did not disappoint. Um, we were fortunate enough to have ridden um, the Slinky Dog Coaster not once, but twice. Um, in one day, we did the whole wake up at 4.30 a.m. and rope drop Hollywood Studios um, that morning. And we were able to get in line right before park closed to experience the ride one more time at night. Um, I definitely would recommend that for everyone um, because Toy Story Land is not only super epic during the day, but at night when all the lights are on and you can really appreciate the bright colors and the playfulness of the land, um, it's a different experience at night. Um, but needless to say, our trip was amazing, um, Toy Story Land being the biggest highlight, um, and we cannot wait to go back again. Happy Fourth of July. Everyone have a great rest of the week. Stay cool. It's hot everywhere. It's hot here in Maryland. It's hot in Florida. Everyone stay cool and have a great week. Thanks. 
Bye. Hi, Lou. This is Sarah Richter from uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I called in in January after you mentioned having a show about uh, moving toward the parks um, because I said that I was trying to get a job in Orlando. So I called to tell you that I just accepted a position. Um, so hopefully I'll be moving in September, and hopefully I can catch you at a meet of the month here soon. I'm so, so excited, and I'm really hoping you still make that show soon because uh, I can really use that advice now more than ever. But just wanted to keep you in the loop. Uh, thanks for all you do, and I hope that you are enjoying your Alaskan cruise. Hopefully see you soon. Hello again. It's Gabby Laksamana from Columbia, Maryland. I forgot to mention in my last call that Joe and I were also able to see the new um, Guardians of the Galaxy mixtape show um, in Epcot, and it was awesome. The music is great. We were all singing along, and it's a pretty spectacular show, so everyone should see that as well. Um, we get some great uh, 80s vibes <laughs> during the show. Alrighty, that's all. Happy Fourth of July. Bye. Hello, Lou Mangello. It's Darlene Nagy from West Seneca, New York, calling in to say that you have 463 days until you go to that Japan trip, which is going to be so phenomenal. Oh, my goodness. Um, and I have now uh, 80 degrees in West Seneca, and I am enjoying that along with the fact that I got only 84 days, almost the same temperature as it is outside here, to go down to a Walt Disney World with the Sternbergs and Keith. We are going to have such a fun time showing the Sternbergs around again since they haven't been there in a while. And all the new stuff like Pandora and both of us seeing um, Toy Story Land together. Thank you so very much for everything that you showed us this past week um, with that. And the show was phenomenal. I cannot wait. I felt like I was there already just being there with you um, in the box and in the live show. Oh, you, Becky, and Lisa did. Thank you so very, very much. Have a magical week and a wonderful day, and stay positive like Lou always says. Thank you for everything you do. And, again, it's Darlene Yankee from West Seneca, New York. Mm-hmm.